Well, we're continuing in uh, the Epistle of James, and uh, I am today using the authorized version. Um, sometimes I use one of the others. It's only sometimes some of the words are easier uh, to explain if you use a slightly more modern translation. After all, uh, while I'm more familiar with the King James, uh, the authorized version. It is written in an older English, but I do understand the English. However, for some of you, sometimes it's easier in one of the more modern translations. We're looking at this epistle of James. And uh, reading in the second chapter, I find it's quite interesting the way that James is writing, and he's actually writing as if he was one of the 12 apostles, but um, although there was an apostle James, most people do believe that this James was actually the brother of Jesus. And I'm bearing that in mind when I read what he says. <laughs> he says, Brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. It's not just what he's saying about the respect of persons, that's how you treat people. But it's the way he's actually describing the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. It's a very interesting description. Um, there are many ways of describing the Lord, but um, it's not very often uh, someone does describe him as the Lord of glory. Anyway, what he's saying is that. In verse 2, if there comes someone into your assembly, a man with a gold ring, wearing very fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man who's badly dressed, and if we respect more the one that wears the fine clothes than the one that's uh, wearing the poor clothes. Uh, this doesn't really apply very much, I must say, in uh, modern days, because when I was growing up, when you went to church, you did wear your, your Sunday best. <laughs> we tended to grow up with a, a Sunday suit and a weekday suit. Um, and, uh, of course, when I say that, um, because as a young man, age 17, I was actually working in a bank in the city of London, there was a very strict uniform. You had to go in a suit and a tie, and um, most of them wore a special hat, which I refused to do, and you carried a rolled umbrella. It was uh, in those days. It was, <laughs> it was a uniform, and I used to walk across London Bridge 
uh, to where the bank was. And it, 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 we all dressed the same. It's quite funny in that sense. Um, but here, uh, what James is looking at is in the day when there was a major difference between the way people were dressed today, sadly, and I, I say this sadly, um, I don't really like to see people in church dressed too casually. <laughs> I'm making a point of that because I don't think we do have need some respect for the Lord that we worship. And um, as I say to people, if you were going to meet an important person, I mean, people these days, even if you go and visit a lawyer or a solicitor, tend to dress a little bit more respectfully. You wouldn't go in in uh, shorts and a... T well, I hope you don't. <laughs> but what James is talking about is not so much in respect of the clothing, although he uses that as an illustration, um, in the sense that if someone comes in looking apparently in a better position, um, having more money, that if you treat that person because of their money in a better way than you do with the poorer person, then you're guilty of judgment. You're judging. Because you're judging that God will favor a person because of their position rather than someone who's poor. But, you know, this is actually completely contradictory to the Word of God. Because what James is saying here is very clear. He says that if we judge people from their outward appearance, then we are guilty of judgment. We're judging a person simply by their appearance. And uh, God doesn't judge us by our appearance. And this is why James on, goes on to say, and if you look at um, verse 5, hearken, my beloved brethren, hasn't God chosen the poor of this world who are rich in faith and who are heirs of the kingdom which he's promised to those that love him? And so what James is pointing out is that in God's sight, he's not looking at just our outward appearance, but what he's looking at is our heart. And that's why he refers and says, God has chosen the poor of this world who are rich in faith, not rich in clothes, in money, not because you've got a big bank balance or because you, you drive a, a very expensive car or because you live in a very expensive house. God judges you not by the outward appearance. God's judgment is in your heart because so often it is true that those who have little can in their hearts Love God more because 
when it comes to heavenly things, <laughs> when it comes to heavenly things, when you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, uh, your bank account doesn't have any influence on the judgment, nor the car that you might drive or the house that you might live in. Uh, people actually uh, comment on me because, um, although, yes, I, I do have a decent car because uh, I got sick of uh, driving old cars and many, many times when I was preaching, uh, my car would break down on the way to... No, no, you, that used to happen to me. And sometimes I've actually arrived at, at my destination for preaching on the back of a tow truck. <laughs> that, in the end, I realized that didn't glorify God uh, because the chances were that, one, I would have difficulty in getting there for the meeting, and two, how was I going to get home? <laughs> but... No, when we stand before the Lord, there's nothing to do with our outward appearance. It's, and you're going to see a little bit more as we develop this, it's very much God sees us and the richness that we have is based on our faith and, as we shall see, how we live out that faith. Mm-hmm. So, yes, in verse 5, he's saying God has chosen the poor of this world who are rich in faith, but who are heirs of a kingdom. <laughs> I used to laugh when I was in Russia many, many years under, go under communism when I was preaching because I would make a remark. I used to say that the desire of every Russian under uh, the communist era was to have a rich uncle in America and that uncle would die <laughs> and leave them the money. Well, it it was a bit of a joke, but it was quite honestly, in, in, in my early days, it was a standing joke. Um, and consequently, when the freedom came, unfortunately, far too many Russians left Russia and went to America because of the richness of the money situation. But no, God judges us and will reward us, not according to our clothes or our homes. And by the way, what I was uh, saying, you know, about uh, my car, yes, in the end, it became a spiritual issue. I had to get a better car. <laughs> But God judges us by what we do. And he says that those of us who are rich in faith are heirs of a kingdom which has been promised. This is a promise. This isn't some uh, fantasy dream of a rich uncle in America. This is a factual, evidential promise of the reward that we have in the kingdom. And let's get this absolutely clear, that there is a difference in rewards in the kingdom. We're rewarded for faithfulness and love, and not just what we do, but how we fulfill what God has called us to do. So let's not judge people by their outward appearances. 
He says in verse 6, yes, he goes on to say, you've despised the poor. And he says, don't rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. It's not just that. It's simply the position that, yes, unfortunately, we can be despised by those who have what we don't have in this world. And he says uh, that people that oppress us and judge us uh, actually blaspheme and uh, they're not worthy of God's love. But if in verse 8, then he comes on to something slightly different. If you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture. This is the only place where I find in Scripture, I could be corrected, but it's the only place where I know in Scripture where this terminology, this phraseology is used when it's described as the royal law. It's the law of God, as handed down from Moses, the law of God is here called royal law. According to the scripture, and here it's very blunt, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And also you can add unto that, do unto others as you would want them to do to you. In other words, we should, in our dealing of our treatment with people, we should treat them the way they, we would like them to treat us. And in verse uh, 9, James gets very strict here. He says, if you have respect of persons, you commit sin, and you're convinced of the law as a transgressor. But he's making a point here, because in verse 10, it's a very strong point that whosoever will keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Now, this is a major issue because, unfortunately, within churches, people are allowing and overlooking and forgiving minor points of infringement. But the word of God is absolutely clear. If you break one law, you break all law. That's God's basis. And yes, all, although he goes on and says uh, in verse 11, don't commit adultery, uh, because the Bible that says don't commit adultery also says don't kill. And if you don't commit adultery, but you kill, then you're breaking the law. But it's not as serious as that. It's, it, it's simply what the word of God is emphasizing here, that if you break one law, you break the law and you are a sinner. You see, this is, this is where when we're describing sin, uh, sin, the first thing was disobedience to God. That was um, with Eve when she believed the serpent rather than God. But the fact is this, the scripture is absolutely clear that even by breaking one of God's laws, you become guilty in God's sight. You become a sinner. You become a sinner. And we're all sinners because the, the Bible says we've all sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. So in actual fact, every one of us, including me and you, every one of us in our lives, at some time we broke the laws of God. And therefore, the scripture is absolutely clear when it says all have sinned. And it's no use detailing good sins, bad sins, big sins, small sins. All have sinned. And once you have sinned, and you see, this is the purpose of salvation. Salvation is based on the fact that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, all of us need forgiveness and salvation. There's only one way into the kingdom. It, it's not just by what you do and say. It is simply the fact that we need forgiveness of sin and Christ died for the sinner. Until we come to that place of repentance and confession, we cannot enter the kingdom of God because all have sinned. Then he's coming now to something else. And we have to look at this very carefully. Uh, because in verse 14, this is what he says, What does it profit a man, brethren? Though a man says he's got faith, but doesn't have the works that go with that faith, can faith alone save him? Oh, we're coming on to something, and I could spend a long time on this. This is a, a very serious issue because uh, in actual fact, in verse 17, James sums it up. Faith, if it doesn't have the accompanying lifestyle, is dead. That he says here very clearly, he says, if you've got faith, verse 18, if you say, I've got faith, and someone else says, well, it's the work that I do, then somebody can challenge you and say, show me what kind of faith you have by the way you live. Because the answer is, I will show you the depth of my faith by what I do, by how I live. Do you see the contrast? It's no use simply saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I've got faith. But you don't live as a Christian. There's uh, something which won't translate very easily, I'm sure, into other languages. But it's a matter of um, it's easy to talk the talk, but you have to walk the walk. In other words, you have to live according to what you say. There's far too many people who will say and speak, but their lives don't correspond. And going back into verse 15, uh, verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if a man has, says he's got faith and he doesn't have the responding work, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked, destitute, and if you simply say, go on your way, I can't help you, and you don't give them the things which are needful, what does it mean? And that's why in verse 17 he says, if you've got faith and you don't have the accompanying lifestyle, 
then that faith is dead. And he goes on, and it's quite complicated. I like the way he's putting it. It is quite complicated because when he's discussing the difference between faith and works in verse 18, then he goes on to verse 19. And verse 19 is very strong because uh, he says, you say that there is one God. Now, there's a lot of people who say they believe in God. I mean, the majority of people, even non-believers, non-church attenders, non-Christians will say, oh, yes, there is a God. I believe in God. I believe in God. Yes, uh, the majority of people do believe in God. Mm. But what James says in verse 19, it says, hmm, you do very well, don't you? Because even the devil himself believes in God. Hmm. So it's all very well simply saying, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine because I believe that there's a God, I believe in God. Yes, but the devil believes that there's a God. He knows, to, he knows only too well. And I mean, that was evidence right from the beginning of Scripture with the temptation in the Garden of Eden and also in the temptation when Satan took Jesus onto a mountain and tempted him three times. And he says, um, cast yourself down because the angels can rescue you. He says, if you'll bow down and worship you, may I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. You, you know the temptation because the devil recognizes who God is only too well. Mm. So your salvation doesn't come simply because you say, I believe in God. And then in verse 20, it's getting strong. I want you to know that faith without works is dead. Look, look at Abraham. And I mean, he's talking to Jewish people, is, is James. It's right from the beginning, he's talking to Jewish people. He says, do you see how faith worked with his works with Abraham? Look, when Abraham believed God, he was justified by his action because he offered his son Isaac, that son of his old age, the son of promise that God had promised to make into a great nation. But when God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, he's willing to do it. And this is something quite remarkable here. He says, um, that uh, in verse 22, do you see how faith was confirmed by his action and by his action, his faith was made complete? And in verse 23, the scripture which was fulfilled, this is the Old Testament scripture, Abraham believed God and it was accorded to, imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Why? Simply coming back to these actions, the thing which justified Abraham in God's sight 
is not just that he believed in God, but the fact that he believed enough to obey God, even to the extent of sacrificing his son. Of course, God stopped him. But because of this, because of his actions in the Old Testament, and salvation in the Old Testament came with Abraham because he believed God and acted in faith, and that gave him the righteousness. And you can see in verse 24, can you see how that by works a man is justified, not by faith alone? And then, of course, James quotes Rahab the harlot, who, although she was an open sinner, when she received the spies, she, the Jewish spies, she hid them and sent them out and then lied, if you want, to the troops that were looking for them and saved them. And because of that, Rahab, the prostitute, and her family were saved when Jericho was destroyed. Verse 26 says, The body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Hard, but it is scripture. God bless you. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. Strength for now and for eternity. David will guide you through the Apostle Paul's letters to the Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. David has written this book to strengthen your faith at a time when everything around us is being shaken. Join David as he delves deep into the truths of the Bible. Order David's book, A Firm Foundation, by visiting our website, eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop. We would like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine.